Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Tales. Good evening, children of the night. Come on in, you well-read rabble. I've just wrapped up, finally, Gary Witta's abomination. I think I told you three weeks ago that I'd got about halfway through the not-that-long read, but work, you know. I enjoyed it, despite Witta doing a very good job of squaring the setting up with actual historic England. There were a few moments that read like a fantasy book, but maybe that's unavoidable when you're writing about swords and dark sorceries. For those of you who have a bit more free time than your humble host, or simply a faster reader, I'd encourage you to put it on the weekend reads list. The other item we must talk about is the Parsec Award. We won it, and by we, I specifically mean Justin Cawthorn as author and Ron Newton as narrator for Tales to Terrify. I've linked in the show notes to episode 172, which is the episode that clinched it for us. Thank you to both Justin Cawthorn and Ron Newton for the terrifically terrifying story and narration. Our first story comes from Amberly L. Husbands. Her short stories have previously appeared in Shock Totem, the Alchemy Press Book of Pulp Heroes, on the Fear and Trembling website, the Underground Voices website, and in The Cynic Online. Her first novel, Sea Yad City, was released in October of 2011, and her poetry has appeared in the Ionia Review, Muse's Literary Journal, Other Poetry, and In the Tapestry of Bronze's Odes to Olympians contest. This story first appeared in Shock Totem Number 7, and is called Among the Elephants. I dreamt of the Elephant Man every night for the past week ever since they'd given me the assignment. In my heart, I knew better than to think of Joseph Merrick as 
the elephant man but asleep in my dreams i couldn't help it monday morning came finally and i dressed and went to the address they'd given me to assume my duties as sarah bartell's personal nurse it was the personal explicit warning that had me frightened when he awarded me the position mr Krajik had drawn me into his office and closed the door behind us in all my trips up to the labor offices i had never once seen that door closed i'll understand he began if you don't feel this is a job you can do at first i was offended i'd been training for over five years to become a nurse and thought i'd done pretty well at it even head of the class nearly always but then mr crushy continued it's mostly her face he explained the deformities in her hands arms chest all of that aren't any worse than some of the sawmill accidents you no doubt saw in school but her face don't make the mistake that she's blind she isn't she'll see you if you stare at her i wouldn't do that i protested still slightly offended you say that now mr Krajik answered quirking up one eyebrow in gentle amused sympathy if you want the job it's yours i just want to know that you're up to it i took the assignment glad for any work but as the date of our meeting drew closer the dreams began and to my shame i found myself dreading the face of sarah bartell i found out much later that sarah and i had been born during the same winter only a month apart still though she was already an old woman by the time i made it out of school she had grown up down south with an adventuresome mother down there though people were even less understanding there were more wild wide-open places to run to and escape them for a little while i say she was an old woman mostly because she had never been a little girl one of the first doctors had told her mother that the girl would only live to be ten or eleven years old at the most sarah heard him and i think she must have made up her mind to become an old woman in that instant she ceased to be young at least they travelled i'd heard through the girl's childhood but then her mother had died and sarah closed herself up before the world could get too complete a look at her she haunted her own world travelling to unknowable hellish regions i'm certain without ever peeking out the window only whispers of her like hideous ghosts reached us on the outside sarah was twenty-nine when i went to work for her monday morning i waited in her downstairs parlor fingers dancing nervously at my sides as the time for me to meet my mistress came and went i hate to admit it but i must as seven o'clock became seven fifteen then seven thirty i began hoping that she'd died in the night relieving me of my duties before they'd begun her house was bigger than i'd expected but by no means extravagant it had been a cook who'd brought me in and situated me in the parlor explaining that miss bartell would see me in the solarium presently the place was very similar to my father's house on elm street the main distinguishing features were heavy curtains still drawn across the front windows but even these didn't stop the rooms from being flooded with early light finally i heard a door open and shut and a young man came down the hall stopping in the parlor for his hat and a briefcase she won't see me he said over his shoulder as if the matter was something i'd be interested in one of the best geneticists on the east coast and she won't see me 
I almost blurted out how fortunate he was, betraying myself and my shameful horror. But as he was slamming the front door, I heard my name called and went down the hall into the sunroom to meet the woman face to face. I didn't drop my eyes. I stared. But I made sure to smile as I did it, the brightest, bravest smile I could possibly manage. And slowly my terror subsided, creeping away little by little with each stolen glance. She did appear blind, only the slightest flickering of wet blackness from two pits, hidden deep within the folds of her face, proved otherwise. Her neck curled away from where it should have connected thin and bent, and her voice crept out of it tangled and snarled. Her face was mostly immobile. I don't know whether it was physically so, or if she had simply trained it not to betray her, but in that first moment when I didn't drop my eyes, I did see one thing, one emotion. I think, to this day, that it was a flash of fear. I began to see deformity whenever I closed my eyes. The nightmares didn't go away, though I eventually stopped blaming her for them. In the instant between first sleep and oblivion, long before proper dreams stirred themselves, I would suddenly see horribly mutilated faces staring back at me from a void. I would see twisted, torn bodies, or parts of them, or starving, mangled animals eating one another. They were just imagines, just visual flashes filling the open gaps of my mind, but each scene gripped me with such intense terror that I would often jump awake stifling a scream when I'd just nodded off the instant before. The fear in these images, and I must confess I believed I was glimpsing hell at the time, was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. But almost immediately upon waking they would leave me filled with a heavy sadness instead of the fear. I couldn't bear to think of a world where such pain and miserableness existed, and couldn't bear to accept that my own mind would invent such atrocities. Was that really the stuff that filled my head, I wondered? Was this really the stuff I was made of? Was pain the language that I thought in? There's no such thing as hell. Sarah croaked one day, straining to be nearer to my ear as I held her medication up to those hard, twisted lips. We've already come through that part, and this world is the reward for whether we performed nobly there or not. How does a person perform nobly in hell? I asked her. You plant flowers, she hissed. You feed the birds while they're burning. I dared not ask how she believed either one of us had performed to be awarded our present lives. After all, she'd been given almost two decades of borrowed time, while I was still seeing Hades inside my eyelids. Do you know what's funny? She asked another time, after I'd been working in her house for nearly a month. I waited, leaning close to hear Miss Bartell's strangled voice balancing the plastic cup with that day's first round of liquid mercy on my knee. I know she lived in horrifying pain, but she was never in a hurry to take her medicine. I could not imagine what this woman could possibly find funny about the world we lived in. I've heard all the jokes, or imagined what they must be, she continued. You know what? My mother really did work with elephants for a zoo back down south, 
and they loved her. She took me to meet them once after hours, when I was just a girl. I was afraid they'd trample me, think me monstrous. But she said that to them I smelled enough like her. They'd love me on sight. And they did. They never batted an eye. They just loved me as my mother's daughter. I wish now I'd spent more time there with them. I didn't work for her long, but I was there the morning that she sat back in the sunroom and stopped breathing. She'd been planning a trip to Africa, one we both knew would never come to exist in reality. That was okay. The plans were enough. She wanted to stand in an old place, she told me, one that still remembered what the world was like before people walked across it. Sometimes I wish I'd spent more time among the elephants, too. That was Amberly Husbands Among the Elephants, as read by C.J. Plogue. C.J. has her master's from Washington University in St. Louis and has worked in the mental health field for 20 years. She grew up in the Midwest and does not remember a time when she didn't love reading a good book. Between family life, education, and career, time has become a precious commodity and leisure reading a guilty pleasure. Listening to audiobooks became the perfect substitute during long commutes to work. C.J. was always curious about how readers for audiobooks were selected and secretly desired to be one, but that seemed as ludicrous as dreaming of a career in Hollywood or Nashville. When her daughter told her about LibriVox, it was the perfect fit. A community committed to transforming public domain works into audio format, eager for volunteers, non-judgmental and free. C.J. has been enjoying listening to completed works and reading for LibriVox since July of 2014. You can find her works and many more at LibriVox.org. Links to her readings will be in the show notes. Our second story of the evening comes to us from Justin Cawthorn, who we've heard from way back in that 172, the award winner, and we'll hear from again at least once in the coming months. Justin has been writing short stories since 2009, all the while fighting the twin demons of procrastination and lack of time. While most of his stories favor the horror genre, he has dabbled in other areas such as pulp fiction, black humor, and even children's stories, after a fashion. A link to his website in the show notes and on the sidebar of his site, you'll see a link to his book released late last year, There Is a Light That Never Goes Out. But tonight we'll be hearing Justin Cawthorn's Bunnies. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Katerina walked down the road to Brendan's house, holding the box carefully in front of her. It was starting to get heavy, but she didn't mind. She loved being out at this time of the year. She loved the way the air was bitter and full of mischief. It would be getting dark soon, and she loved that too. The change was always good, from light to dark, from warm to cold, from living to dead. Inside the box was a gift for Brendan. It was the first gift she'd ever given him, so she hoped it would be a surprise. She was almost certain it would be. Brendan was her friend. He was one of the first people she had met when she moved to this town, and they had been friends ever since. She was used to living in new towns and meeting new people. Sometimes they liked her, and sometimes they didn't. But Brendan was the first person at school who had said hello to her. She had liked him for that, and always would. On that first day, Katerina had been asked by their teacher, Mrs. White, to stand up at the front and tell the other children a little bit about herself. But why? she'd asked. Because everyone wants to know about you, Mrs. White had lied to her. Tell us about where you lived before. What's your new house like? What sort of things do you do when you're at home? Katerina was used to this as well. Every time she started her new school, the teacher made her talk about herself. She knew that no one really wanted to hear about where she'd lived before, or what her house was like, or what she did at home. She didn't like talking about herself either, so she told everyone about her bunnies instead. She bought a new bunny every time she had to move to a new town. It was supposed to be a special reward, but she knew it was really her mother's way of saying sorry for taking her away from all her old friends. None of that mattered to Katerina, because she wasn't worried about friends, not people friends in any case. Her bunnies were her best friends, and now she had four of them. The newest one was Grendel, and the other three were called Bugs, Fluff and Toto. Most of my bunnies like each other, she told everyone. Except for Fluff, the others don't like him much because he's not very clever. And how do you know that, Katerina? Mrs. White had asked her. Because that's what they told me, she'd answered. They say Fluff is backwards. The other children had laughed, not loudly, but behind their hands. It didn't matter. Katerina could still hear them. Katerina, rabbits can't talk, 
Mrs. White had told her. They're not rabbits. They're bunnies. And they don't talk to everyone. Only to me. Then Mrs. White had stood up. It's not good to lie about things, Katerina. You'd better get back to your desk now. As she walked back, someone did an impression of Bugs Bunny. Eh, what's up, Doc? The whole class laughed, even Brendan. When Katerina sat down, she could see that Mrs. White was smiling as well, even though she told everyone, That's enough now. Time to open your books. Later, her mother had asked her about her first day at school, and if everyone had been nice to her. Katerina had told her about Brendan saying hello, but said nothing about everyone laughing at her. Every time she started a new school, her mother asked her the same question, but Katerina always lied now. One time, she talked about a girl who'd been mean to her, and the next morning, her mother had come to school with her and told the teacher. Katerina hadn't even wanted to get the girl into trouble. She'd only talked about it because she didn't have anything else interesting to tell her mother. After that, the girl had been even meaner to her, so Katerina didn't tell her mother about those things any more. It really didn't bother her in any case. After she'd been at Brendan's school for almost a week, some of the other children had gathered around and started calling her names. They danced in a ring and looked like fairies, except fairies didn't usually look as stupid. Katerina would have waited until they got bored, but Brendan saw what was happening and told them all to stop. After that, they started shouting at him instead, but they left her alone. For a while. The box was starting to get too heavy, and she still had three blocks to go before she reached Brendan's house. She stopped by a fence and rested the box on top of it for a minute. The box was wrapped in paper with dragons and rainbows on it. She didn't know if Brendan liked dragons and rainbows, but if it wasn't wrapped, then it wouldn't be a gift. Brendan had brought her a gift for her birthday, and he had wrapped it up in paper with robots on it. Inside there had been a toy bunny. She didn't like it as much as her real bunnies. For one thing, it didn't talk. But she'd given him a kiss anyway, to say thank you. She had seen her mother kissing the men who brought her things, so it seemed like the right thing to do. It didn't mean she wanted to get married to him or anything. Later on, she'd seen some of the other children asking him about it. Maybe they thought it made him special. She picked up the box and started walking again. She'd been carrying things all day. This morning she had carried Grendel, her newest bunny, to school. It wasn't actually school. It was the Easter holidays, so there wasn't any school. Instead, she had to go to holiday camp. It was the same place as school, but they gave it a different name, so they could pretend it was more fun. She had to go, because even though it was the Easter holidays, her mother still had to go to work. It wasn't really so bad. This morning... They were allowed to bring in anything they wanted from home, so they could paint a picture of it. Katerina had brought in Grendel, her favourite bunny. She knew she wasn't supposed to have favourites, but Grendel was the one that talked to her the most. Brendan was also at holiday camp. He had two parents, but they both worked. 
Is that one of your bunnies? he had asked. Of course it is, she had told him. His name is Grendel. He's the one I got when I moved here. Brendan looked at Grendel for a long time. Grendel looked back at him, then got bored and started eating instead. Does he talk? Brendan asked. Yes, he talks all the time. Brendan stared at Grendel again. Grendel carried on eating. Finally, Brendan said, I wish you would talk to me. He was talking to you, Katerina told him. He was wondering what you were looking at. When you didn't say anything back, he got bored. Then a voice from behind them said, He also said you want to kiss her again because you liked it the first time. Brendan turned around and his face went red when he saw that it was Anna. She was supposed to be one of Brendan's friends, except that she wasn't very nice to him most of the time. Katerina knew Brendan liked Anna. Sometimes she could see the two of them talking together in the playground. Oh, I didn't, Brendan shouted, and quickly went back to his table. After that, Anna started saying something else to her. So Katerina just turned away and started to get her paper and paints ready instead. She was only a block away from Brendan's house now, but her arms were really starting to ache. She walked over to a bench and sat down, keeping the box on her lap to make sure it didn't fall off. Across the road, she could see a girl riding around on her bike. After a moment, she realised it was Anna. Anna saw her and cycled over stopping her bike by the side of the pavement. She just stared. Katerina had nothing to say to Anna, so she just stared back. Then Anna started chanting, Crazy cat! Crazy cat! and started riding away. She looked back, still chanting, to make sure Katerina was still watching her, which she was. Katerina was also looking at the parked car, which Anna was about to ride her bike into. A second later, she hit it. Her head made a big crack in the windscreen, and something on her bike cut her leg and made it bleed. Anna was quiet after that. Katerina picked up the box and carried on walking, leaving Anna in the road. It wasn't the first time she'd been to Brendan's house. Sometimes she went there for tea because their mothers worked together, so she knew exactly where to go. Brendan also knew where her house was. She had seen him there earlier. He had been riding away on his bike just when she got home, but he hadn't seen her. She didn't know why he'd come to see her until later. Before they left holiday camp that afternoon, he'd come up to her in the playground and given her something. It was a present, all wrapped up in Easter paper, but he pretended as if he didn't want to give it to her. She had given Brendan a kiss to say thank you, and then gone to the park with Grendel to open it. It was a picture book of bunnies. None of them looked as clever as hers, except for Fluff, of course, but she liked it all the same. After she'd finished the book, she'd gone home. She went to see her bunnies, first of all, as she always did, and knew straight away that Brendan had also been there to see her bunnies. They told her about it, and what he had done. Then she put Grendel back in with the others, and he had told her exactly what to do next. 
she walked up the path to Brendan's house and rang the bell. A moment later, Brendan answered it. He looked surprised to see her. Katerina enjoyed the way his eyes went wide, and how it looked as if he'd forgotten to breathe for a minute. Hello, Brendan, she said. Brendan stared at Katerina, not knowing what to say. In the end, he just said, Hello. She stood there with a little smile on her face and didn't say anything back. In her arm, she was cradling a box. It was brightly coloured and looked big enough to hold a football inside. Brendan didn't think there would be a football inside. He really didn't want to know what was inside. Katerina carried on looking at him and not saying anything. Um, we're having dinner in a minute, Brendan eventually managed. No, thank you, she said lightly. I need to go home now anyway. I just came here to give you a gift. It's Easter. Brendan stared at the box. Oh, I didn't get you anything. Yes, you did. You gave me a book, don't you remember? Brendan remembered the book, and he remembered the kiss. Now his breath was starting to come too fast for him to speak properly. He just wanted her to go away so she wouldn't know. Okay, he whispered. Here's your present, Katerina told him, holding out the box. Brendan looked at the box, at the funny wrapping paper all over it at the way Katerina's arms was struggling a little to keep it held out to him. He didn't want to take it, but he knew that Katerina wouldn't go away unless he did. He reached out and took the box. Don't open it till Easter, she warned him. Brendan shook his head. I won't. She stood there another moment. Finally she turned and started skipping away down the path. Bye, Brendan she called to him as she left. Brendan watched her go, wondering if he should go straight to the dustbin and throw the box in with the rubbish. Then he heard a voice from inside the house. Who was that? It sounded like Katerina. Before he could even move, his mother was next to him, peering out of the door. Has she gone already? You should have asked her in. She could have had some supper with us. Brendan pushed the door shut. No, she didn't want to stay. She had to go home, she told me. His mother looked at the box in his hands. What's that? It's a... Uh... Brendan started, but he couldn't think of anything to say that would stop her from wanting to look inside. It's a school project we were working on. Can I see? Brendan shook his head. No. No, it's wrapped up, see? It's not finished yet, anyway. Why is it wrapped up if it's not finished? She asked, studying the box. It's, um... Oh, look, it's got a lid, she pointed out. And before Brendan could stop her, she was lifting it off. Just a quick look. No, Brendan shouted and wrenched the box away. He realised straight away he'd done the wrong thing. He could tell by the look on his mother's face. It was the look he hated most. The one that made him feel as though she didn't even know him. As if he wasn't her son anymore. 
It only lasted a second, long enough for him to notice. After that, she just looked upset. I, I only, I like to see what you do at school, that's all. You know that, don't you? She said pleadingly. Brendan didn't say anything. He was angry. He didn't understand why Katerina had given him a present, and that made him angry. He didn't understand why his mother wanted to look in the box, and that made him angry. But more than any of that, he didn't like that he'd upset his mother, and that made him angrier than anything else. She reached down and picked up the lid from the floor. As she put it back on the box, they both saw what was inside. Oh, oh, his mother sighed. Brendan looked down. It's gorgeous, she carried on. The box contained an egg, larger than a normal Easter egg, wrapped carefully in a brightly patterned linen cloth and tied all around with ribbons. Underneath it was a square egg carton, painted red, and a handful of what looked like straw. Brendan put the lid back on. Did you give her the book? his mother asked. Yes, of course I gave her the book, he answered crossly. She ignored him. I think we should go round on Sunday and give Katerina something else for Easter. A book's not really enough of a present. Let me think of something else we can give her. As she talked, she wandered off into the kitchen, lost in her thoughts. Brendan watched her to make sure she was gone, then hurried away upstairs, still holding the box. He wished he'd never given Katerina that stupid book. He hated her so much. His mother had found it two days ago while shopping and made him give it to her as a present. So he'd taken it to school like he was supposed to and given it to Katerina. After that, she'd done the worst thing ever. She had kissed him. Then Anna had told him he was going to go mad, just like Katerina, because he'd let her kiss him. He didn't want to go mad. He didn't want Anna not to like him because he was mad. He'd been nice to Katerina when she first came to their school. His mother had told him to be nice to her because she worked with Katerina's mother. He tried. He'd even liked her for a little while, but Katerina made it so hard. At first, he had thought she was telling the truth about her bunnies, that they really did talk. But today, he had realised that she was just making it all up. He'd waited for her bunny to say something to him, but it was just a stupid rabbit in the end. Anna told him that Katerina didn't have any real friends, so she pretended the bunnies were her friends. Anna had also told him that anyone who was friends with Katerina couldn't have any other friends, not real friends. She should never have kissed him. He realised now. He should have pushed her away. But the kiss hadn't felt horrible at first, and he hadn't wanted to push her away. But afterwards Anna told him that he probably had the pox now, and she couldn't be friends with him any more. It was so unfair. So he'd gone round to Katerina's house after school. He'd seen her go to the park, so he knew she wouldn't be at home. And, because his mother was still at work, he knew that Katerina's mother wouldn't be at home either. He rode all the way there on his bike, 
and climbed over the back fence to get into their garden. He was after the bunnies. He didn't really know what he was going to do. He thought he'd take one of the bunnies, maybe let it go in the park, or maybe just hide it somewhere for a couple of days. He was angry at Katerina. She'd made him angry, and she'd made Anna hate him, so he wanted to make her hurt. He also thought it might help her, that if he got rid of all the bunnies, people might start to think she was normal again. If people started to think that Katerina was normal, then they'd know he was normal as well. It would be good for everyone. He opened the hutch, and the three bunnies inside stuck their heads up and looked at him. Two of them quickly hopped to the back of the hutch, but the third one just sat there. He went to grab it. It turned and bit him. Brendan screeched, but the bunny didn't let go. He pulled his hand out of the hutch, and the bunny came too, its teeth still clamped over the side of his thumb. He grabbed it round the throat, trying to prise its mouth open, but it didn't work. Then he tried hitting it against the side of the hutch. The bunny made a funny noise, but it kept biting his hand. Finally, he picked up a piece of brick and started smashing it down on the bunny's head. He didn't realise what he was doing until he stopped. The bunny had let go of his hand. Its grey and white fur was starting to go all red. There was a big broken wet patch around its ears. It didn't look that much like a bunny anymore. It twitched once, then again, then lay still. Dead. Brendan felt the tears coming. He didn't know what had happened, so he ran back to his bike and cycled away as quickly as he could. When he got home, he realised the bite wasn't even as bad as he'd thought. There was only a little bit of blood. If his mother asked him about it, he could just tell her he'd fallen off his bike. When he'd seen Katerina standing on the doorstep, he was sure she'd come around because she knew what he'd done, but she hadn't even realised. Maybe she hadn't been home, or maybe she thought that someone else had done it. Anyway, tomorrow morning he was going to go round to Anna's house and tell her what he'd done. He knew she'd be impressed. Yes, that's what he was going to do in the morning. Brendan woke up. He'd heard something. He listened for a minute. But there was nothing. It was nothing. He closed his eyes again. There it was again. He opened his eyes and tried to see in the dark, wondering what it was. Perhaps something on the roof. Sometimes they get birds or rats or other things walking around on the roof above his room. Or it could have been a tree knocking against the... No, it was something in his room. Then a different noise. Scratching, scraping. A sound like something scraping against cardboard. Then something fell. No, it was something moving. A dull thump, as if something had jumped just a little. It was the box. Brendan already knew it was the box. He sat up. In the dark he could see the outline of it. 
just sitting on his desk. It moved, just a tiny bit, but it moved, shivered a little, then stopped. Then the noise started again. Brendan stood up and switched on his bedside lamp. He would be safer in the light. He could grab the box and throw it out of the window, as long as he was quick enough. He started stepping away from his bed, walking over towards the box. He just didn't want it in his room anymore. He could get rid of it. He could... He stared at it. It was still and quiet now, looking just like a birthday present, with the stupid rainbow paper all around it. He could look inside while it wasn't moving. He could open it and see what was in there. He could see what was in there making all the noises. What was making it move? He had to know. He reached out, touched his fingertip to the lid. The box didn't move. He let his fingers drift around towards the edge. Then his other hand, both hands on the lid. He could take it off. He could look inside. He just needed to. He took the lid off. In the dim light, he couldn't see much. From where he stood, he could only just see over the edge of the box. There was something round in there, like the edge of the Easter egg he'd glimpsed earlier. He leaned over, getting closer, closer, until he could see more of the egg. The cloth wrapping now torn and crumpled, the egg open. Inside it was something red. Something red and furry and sticky. And dead. Katerina's dead bunny. She had wrapped up her dead bunny and given it back to him. Except it wasn't dead anymore. It was twitching. Its dead eye was roving around, looking for him. Every so often, its back leg would jerk, kicking backwards against the side of the box. It was trying to stand up, but it couldn't do it. Not yet. It wasn't completely alive again yet. Brendan didn't want to wait and see what might happen when it finally managed to stand up. He slammed the lid back on the box covering the terrible thing that was inside. He would throw it out of the window. It couldn't get him from outside. He could lock his doors, close his windows, hide under the covers. He'd be safe, inside, safe from it. He picked up the box. There was a knock. But it didn't come from the box. Almost straight away there was another one. Another knock. Someone thumping against his window. He turned and looked at his door. Maybe he could take the box that way, go to the front door and throw it away. But that would take too long. Also, the dead thing inside was moving more and more now. He had to get rid of it quickly before it... He looked back at the window. It was quiet there now. The noises had stopped. He walked over, gripping the box hard, always keeping one hand pressed over the lid. His curtains were drawn. They had robots on, robots with lasers, but they weren't going to help him now. He needed to open the curtains. That's what he needed to do. He needed to open the curtains, and then open the window, 
and then throw the box outside. It would all be over once he did that. All he had to do was open the curtains. He put the box under his arm, trying to pretend he couldn't feel all of those little movements coming from inside it, trying to pretend the scratching wasn't getting louder. With his free hand he reached over and slowly dragged his curtains open. It was black outside, the middle of the night. He couldn't see anything with the light on, but he really, really didn't want to turn the light off. He tried to look through the glass, to make sure there was nothing out there, nothing that could get him when he opened the window. Something flew out of the darkness. It banged against the glass and left a smear that looked like spit all over his window. Brendan's heart started pounding inside his chest, beating as though it was trying to burst out of him. He couldn't move. He wanted to turn around and run to the door, but he couldn't move. He realised he dropped the box. It was down on the floor, lying by his feet. The dead bunny was next to it, still quivering. But now both its legs were kicking. Its jaw was all torn and bloody, but he could see that moving as well. Its red and shattered teeth trying to bite down. Every time it kicked, it moved a little closer, its teeth coming a little closer towards him. There was a loud crack. He looked back to the window and saw there was now a jagged line across it. Something else flew against it and the line grew bigger, splitting across the glass. Then another. This time he saw what it was. A bunny. But it wasn't like any bunny he'd ever seen before. Its eyes were yellow, full of hate and anger. Its fur was filthy and black, and across its feet he glimpsed a set of jagged claws, and it looked hungry. Then another one came, throwing itself against the glass, and another. The glass broke a little more each time, the crack spreading wider and wider. He could see blood over the glass now. They were cutting themselves on the broken window, but still they kept coming. Two at a time. Then three, then more, then so many he couldn't count them, couldn't see out of the window. All he could see were the teeth, the eyes, and what they wanted to do to him when they got inside. They were coming for him. The glass shattered. Brendan screamed. That was Justin Cawthorn's Bunnies, as read by Margaret Essex. Margaret Essex lives on the beautiful far south coast of New South Wales, Australia, with her long-suffering husband, a happy hound, and the cat who rules. She spends time gardening, seed-saving, cheese-making, making music, and loves to be at a table of food and wine with friends and family. Thank you, Margaret. That'll be our show for the evening, Children of the Night, our show was produced by our editors Philip Oldham and Scott Silk, and theme music by David Raiklin. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.